0: folks welcome to this good word i'm steve and today i had a conversation with a new friend named greg paul and i just love this guy he lives in toronto canada he works with people on the margins and he just wrote a book called queer prophets and it is a gorgeously written book filled with great stories and robust theology about Why God Loves and Accepts and Affirms Queer People and Where This Whole Story is Going. Uh, I loved Greg's wisdom and his hard-won simplicity around what he believes and what he thinks. Uh, It made me want to be around him. Like, it made me want to drive to Toronto and (laughs) take a walk with him outside and uh and just learn from him so take a listen to the conversation i think you'll like it and then go out and buy his book queer profits enjoy Greg so good to have you on the show man so good to Great see your to
1: face <laughs> I wish I could <laughs> see yours I'm seeing I this know. goofy map Maddie <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh the joys of technology oh I love at least it. it's a
1: whole world map yeah. you know i like that <laughs> you,
0: yeah it's not just the u.s you yeah know. exactly yeah yeah although yeah. if it were the u.s right now it would just be a picture of a dumpster on fire perhaps right, oh, right alas
1: yeah oh, Boy, it it what so a nightmare you guys are going through i'm so sorry it is, and awful. you know what? It's infecting other places too. It's infecting Canada, and for sure. I mean, it obviously, yeah. it's it's when I say it's infecting. What it's doing is it's kind of releasing uh, some stuff that's been here all along and just been yeah. more hidden. So,
0: yeah, this is yeah. It seems to be a time of uncovering, right? More and yeah. more revealing yeah. of what's what's there, what's real, what has always been there, and but uh, it's it's yucky. But well, anyway, yeah. Greg, uh, really, <laughs> I, I've been reading your new book, uh, Queer Prophets. And I have lots of questions about it because it's just so good. And I just want- Oh,
1: great. Want thank you. Glad to it. hear that. <laughs> it's <laughs> Me too. really
0: good. And I'm picky. I, I I read a lot of books and I'm picky, but it is, it is, oh, it's just, I love how you weave stories into your own and it's kind of hilarious. You're, you kind of poke fun at yourself at times and it's just so good. So thank you for that. But- Oh, thank you. Um, as we get started, share a bit of your spiritual background and um, yeah, yeah, kind we, of so, where, where um, things began for you.
1: I'm I'm a geezer now, like I'm 62, but I, when I grew up uh, way, way back, you know, about the time Noah left the Ark, the um, <laughs> I, I grew up in a, in a very fundamentalist closed brethren home. Um, so legalism was certainly the name of the, of the game. Uh, There's lots of love within the community, but if you're outside of the community, you were really outside So there was a very clear demarcation inside and outside um, And there was all kinds of rules and regulations. So, you know, we were uh, amongst that group of of Churches and Christians who preach that uh, that all is grace until you get saved and and then my goodness You got to work your tail off for the rest of your yeah. life to th- try to measure up. So that's kind of where I started and um I began to really struggle with it. I, I had a, an older cousin who was also struggling, and he and I conferred. And along on the short of it is that basically I got chased out of that place, uh, including by my own dad. So um, it was a really traumatic sort of experience. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, I'm done with this church and I'm leaving. I, I was leaving the entire society, society that I had wow. grown up with. Uh, including my you know the closest members of my own family and all my closest friends so it was a it was a really traumatic time in my early 20s as a you know a a young dad i had one child another one on the way that kind of stuff and uh but but it was also really ultimately was really freeing so i'm grateful it was a it was was certainly a a kind of a cathartic sort of experience um and, and so leaving that i i I moved to a, a slightly less conservative, uh, certainly less legalistic uh, evangelical setting. Um, stayed there uh, a bunch of years. In fact, that's the place that commissioned me to to go from the you know suburbia to the wilds of the downtown core of, of Toronto, which is Canada's largest city, uh, about the size of it's Chicago. It's a beautiful city.
0: I, well, I've thanks. been there once, yeah. and oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. I wasn't ah. there for very long, but... But I fell in love with it. Very diverse and beautiful. Yeah,
1: Very it's 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 terrifically diverse. It's it's yeah. one of the most diverse ethnically diverse cities in the world, which is one of the things that I really love about it. And I got involved even before I left the uh, the closed brethren thing, in in preaching on the street downtown, and just fell in love with the, the downtown course. Strictly a suburban boy growing up, um, but uh, but since then have really lived in the city, and uh, so um, this church. Conservative, suburban um, church, Open Brethren Church, commissioned me as a missionary to go um, basically hang out on the streets in the downtown core and, believe it or not, play in a, in a rhythm and blues band in the bars yeah. at night. And so right. that's that's what I did with uh, with the guys from Red Rain for uh, for a lot of years. Um and uh, so so I had the great experience of playing at blues in a smoky bar until two o'clock in the morning on, on Sunday morning and then being out somewhere preaching at 11, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sounding like Satchmo right. or something. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing time. I don't know how I did. It, it was exhausting. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was much younger then, of course. So it was a great experience. And that, that led... It's pretty shaggy dog story, so I won't tell it all, but I, that led to the establishment of a community called Sanctuary in the downtown core of Toronto, which really focuses on placing at the center of who we are, people who are poor and excluded. Uh, in our case, that means largely people who are, um, who are living on the street, uh, or has meant that, people homeless or living out their lives on the street, people struggling with addictions, um, Extremely, extremely high percentage of Indigenous people in our community as well. And uh, Canada's Indigenous history is utterly shameful, still is, um, yeah. much like the U.S. and Australia and yeah. other places. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that community has been going now for um, about 30 years. I've been part of it the whole time. I'm less active in a, in a day-to-day role at this point, um, kind of hit a wall with, uh, death and loss and all of those sorts of things. It, it tells some of that right at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm still involved, uh, you know, get all the emails from the staff. I'm still involved in supporting staff, uh, kind of remotely and still involved in the worshiping community online these days. So yeah, that's how it's evolved for me.
0: You know, it's fascinating and you shared like 30 years ago you you started this community and but you didn't i mean you you got into a little bit of the why you know you fell in love with the downtown core you um found yourself uh preaching in the streets but but i also know that a ministry like that is to to be involved in, with it for 30 years means you're in it for more than just you know assuaging your guilt for being a suburban boy. So talk a little bit more about if you would, like what kept you what got you into that work and what kept you in it. Cause I, I think it's very difficult work.
1: Well it was the big money to be frank. You know <laughs> big time,
0: of course. I mean that's <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. that's obvious. Yeah. I mean
0: that's 30 years,
1: yeah. I worked for 30 years and made hundreds of dollars. <laughs> yeah, so, no, honestly, big, um, big, big money. I fell in love with people, really. Yeah, That's the bottom yeah. line. I fell in love with people, and and here's the other thing I, I went uh, thinking that um that I was going to you know be the presence of Christ in the downtown core and discovered he'd got there ahead of me. And, yeah. and that uh, and that I was I was coming face to face with the presence of of Christ, as he says in matthew twenty five amongst people who were hungry and thirsty and humiliated and imprisoned and sick and and all of those sorts of things. So um, so it was those two things. It was falling in love with with people uh, who were beautiful people in their brokenness, and their in their neediness, and and whose brokenness and neediness really touched my own. And discovering the, the presence of, of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit among them in a way that a lifelong church, as a lifelong church kid, I, I had never experienced before. Yeah, um, Really demanding, really challenging, um, uh, and yet uh, extremely fulfilling too. Um, so, uh, you know, as I said, I've had to, to step back from it. But I've gone through a, a really significant grieving process of having to do that because I'm stepping back from people and situations that I, that I really love. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, so, uh, uh, and one of the tells in all of this is that other people who have become part of our community who like me come from places of privilege, uh, some of them as staff and some of them just as as what we would call anchoring members of the community are people who've stayed around for years and years and years, you know, we don't lose staff like most inner city ministries do every yeah. two or three years. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's, that's interesting. Um, and,
1: and those people have taken care of me in the midst of my own neediness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Folks who had nothing, who who would would come around me and 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 comfort me and provide me words of wisdom and and words of blessing, uh, many many times when I was in the midst of my own struggle. Wow.
0: Wow, um, I'm sure there are hundreds of stories, hundreds oh. of stories.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, some of them I, some of them I could even tell yeah I mean yeah. I'm just thinking
0: yeah. like would you share one you know just one before again before we get into the book uh would you share would you share one?
1: Oh yeah I mean I don't know where to start what kind of a story are you looking for?
0: <laughs> well, I mean just just to be vulnerable I mean if you would, you don't have to but you just said uh, some of these folks, who on paper maybe look like they don't have much to offer met you in your own neediness and really helped you.
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I um, about that. Yeah, so um, I, I'm not going to bleed all over the internet about, about my own struggles. I've actually written about about a fair bit of it and mentioned it in, in books and stuff. I went through a broken marriage and I've had my own, you know, my own stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, this is a kind of a short story, but i was up in my office which actually was in the what we call a loft is originally the balcony of this old church building that we have in the downtown core one day and i thought of something that i need i can't even remember what it was and i thought well i'll just run across the street to the store um, and and i'll and i'll get it and i'll run back here which which was a foolish thing because in our neighborhood you can't kind of can't step outside the door without somebody accosting you so i I run down the stairs i go out the front door and sure enough 10 feet away from the front door there's this tall really skinny uh, native guy whose real name i can use at last because he's gone now his name is marcel he was a blackfoot man from from the prairies he'd spent time in prison uh, for murder and I'm not telling anything that he didn't share himself. So I'm sure, betraying sure. confidence even after his death. And Marcel was was an alcoholic. And um, he and I had had lots of go rounds about a variety of things, you know, and he would call me names cause I was a white guy and because I was a Christian and and all that sort of thing. But, but we'd over a period of years come to realize that we really cared about each other. Mm. And and um, and our environment can be kind of dangerous. You know, you're dealing with uh, people who have addictions, and sometimes there's weapons involved, and people who have psych issues and post-trauma issues, and so on. So I, I step outside the door, and I think, oh, <laughs> this is not going to take a couple of minutes. Yeah. And sure enough, Marcel spins around. And he looks at me. He says, "Oh, it's you." And he gets this great big grin on his face, and and, and he says, um. You know, I've been thinking about you. And I said, oh, yeah, Marcel, what have you been thinking? He says, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. And I said, yeah, what is it, uh, 12, 13 years? Yes, 13 years, which you know, I don't <laughs> think he really knew, but he just picked it out. And I said, okay, we've known each other for 13 years. He says, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. And, you know, I want to tell you that I respect you.
0: Hmm.
1: And I love you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're brothers. And if anybody ever wanted to hurt you, I would gather the boys together by which he meant kind of his little street posse. Sure. So we would hunt that person down. And we would I, I can't tell you what he actually said, yeah. you know, we would fix that guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'd we'd fix him real good. Yeah. Because you're my brother, and I love you, and I'll always watch out for you. Whoa. And um, I realized that he was speaking to me exactly the words. Uh, well, not exactly. He is speaking to me a paraphrase of what God promises in a number of places in Scripture, mm-hmm. but certainly in Isaiah 58, yeah, um, a passage where, you know, if if you look out, for those who are um, oppressed and poor then this is what god will do for you and he was speak to me he was he was the voice of christ to me in that moment he was the presence of jesus to me um, and he died uh, in the alleyway between sanctuary and the building next to us some years later and you know i stood with his body and watched while the police came and the coroner came and and all of his street brothers came and, and, uh, and, and, you know, we kind of dealt with all that together and I'll, I'll never forget him. You know, he was a brother. He was a brother.
0: Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Greg. That, yeah. um, whew, uh, I can only imagine the kind of surprising, <laughs> I don't know, gift of mercy that might've been, um, on an yeah. ordinary day, you know? Yeah. An ordinary day um thank you for that well you've you've written a bunch your your last book i think was resurrecting religion Mm -hmm. uh this one is called queer prophets and so (laughs) tough question but why did you choose to write this book at this time in your life
1: love again (laughs) you know i fell in love with people and um I had, uh, you know, I had a lifelong struggle. I have come from a very conservative place. Theologically, I have a very high, what we, you would call a high view of scripture. Um, I've studied scripture intimately since I was a kitty. Like, I mean, I was 12 or 13 years old yeah. and, and I, for whatever reason I was drawn to studying scripture and I started then and I've never stopped. Um, and, uh, and of course, I had the usual convictions about what the Bible has to say about uh, queer people in terms of their sexual relationship and so on, and even their, their basic personhood. And uh, struggled with that through the years um, and, be, and found really that there was a greater and greater dissonance between what I believed the God the, the Bible was teaching uh, about queer people and the character of the God who was revealed to me in scripture. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it wasn't, uh, it was not an abstract issue for me. I was wrestling with this because increasingly there were people that I, I really loved, um, people who were gay or lesbian or, or bi or people who were trans, um, uh, all of those things, people who identified in other ways as, as well. and And I'd come to love those people and yet, I felt that in certain circumstances, I was not free to love them fully, mm. the way I believed God wanted me to love them fully, because of my convictions about what the Bible said. And I struggled with that for years and years and years, and um, like literally decades, I yeah. struggled with that. Um, and so, one of the the challenging was issues issues when people that. I'd walked with and knew that I loved them and loved their friends and stuff would come to me and say, Hey, I'm getting married. Would you marry, marry us? Yeah. And I, and I'd have to say, I, I, I can't. Yeah. And to try to explain that and explain, it, it really made them begin to feel, I think in some circumstances that, uh, that maybe I've been fake with loving right. them all the way along. So I had this growing sense of dissonance, um, uh, and and lived with it for a long time. Felt like, I guess that's just where I'm stuck. And then um, had, uh, as the book tells, kind of a moment of clarity. It felt like there was a message from above. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, it wasn't like the voice of God or anything. It was just a thought that dropped into my mind saying, hey, what about this passage of scripture? Mm. What if it means this? And then I started to unpack it and started to see whether there's support for that throughout the rest of the scripture. And, and really discovered, um, I, I think, that there is a really legit, legitimate theological framework that sees queer people not just, just as being um, acceptable, but as people that can be affirmed. So not just people that we can love, but people that we can say, yes, God made you like this. And in fact, that they have a prophetic function for our age. And just to give you a clue about the prophetic function, um, I would say, you know, remember there's a story where uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are talking to Jesus about various things. And it's actually the Sadducees who are, their, their game is they're trying to prove there's no resurrection. And they say, they're the ones who come up with this crazy story about some poor woman who loses yeah, yeah, seven yeah. husband husbands in a row my first reaction to that story is that poor woman having to marry seven brothers I in a row oh, oh my oh, goodness oh. Huh? <laughs> what a <laughs> yeah. life right. um anyway i mean it's obviously it's a it's a specious story they're just yanking jesus chain and jesus but jesus responds to them by saying don't you know that that um in the coming age uh, we're we're not going to be married or Given in marriage, we're going to be as the angels. Hmm. Um, And the angels don't marry. They're not given in marriage. In fact, as far as we know, the angels are either just one gender or no gender at all. Hmm. They're they're not gendered because we don't have any record of kind of female representations of Mm -hmm. of genders. And so, so if that's what Jesus says about where things end up, and then I look at what John says about where things end up in in the Revelation in chapter twenty one, twenty two of of, uh, of his of kind of the the, the summing up of history. Uh, we have all of us, male, female, people maybe whose gender isn't clear, um, and, and there are, by the way, some of those medically whose gender is not clear, which creates right. real problems if you insist that you've got to be male or female. Right. Right. Um, at the end of, of time, John is saying, hey, you know what, we're all gonna be in the bride. Yeah. I'm a straight guy, for crying out loud.
0: Right, right.
1: How am I gonna be in the bride? Right. What does that mean? And so, you know, I talk about my own journey in the book to, to get to this point, and then uh, relate a, a lot of the kind of study of scripture that I started to do to try to unpack this. Um, And I, and I think the key, is is you have to kind of follow the the arc of the story right um you have to recognize that we're not going back to the garden we're going on to the city right and the story does not end where it began right yeah
0: i I think that's that's, i i love love that that, what what you you just said said, that 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 we are are following following an arc that is continually moving Mm-hmm. and expanding i mean one of the passages i love as, as it relates to this lgbtq or others is you know the whole series in acts 9 through 15 where the surprising spirit falls on the gentiles and it mm-hmm. rocks you know peter's world and he has the dream or the trance Yep. <laughs> uh you know about the animals and don't eat this and and then it all comes down to a group of people that pray and listen and argue and debate and then they say well it it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us that we not that we not force these folks to be circumcised and and as I did study about that I, I looked like back in Genesis 17 it's really clear the Bible's really clear circumcision shall be the sign of the covenant for all generations (laughs) you know so that sounds pretty Mm -hmm. eternal and yet here you have this model so i you know that's just another one i'm sort of piling on that's another one of the scriptures that seems to say when we come into into contact with things that don't make sense to us anymore there there actually is a model for a community of people to talk it through you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 to, and to see uh, a, a different a different solution other than the one that you thought you were stuck with. And I love how you said that. Like, I guess I'm just stuck with this. And I yeah. think, um, I wonder what you would say to someone who might come back to you and say, yeah, but boy, angels and end times, I man, that sounds like a weird, you know, like it's, it's clear in other places. It, mm-hmm. You know, the Bible is clear in other places. And I know you process with that a, a whole lot. Uh, so w- sort of what would your playful or non-playful answer be to that?
1: Well, what I would say is that I think you, you get into a lot of danger in any theological discussion, whatever the issue is, when you hang your, your uh, theology on a handful of proof texts. Right. So, which is why, you know, when, when I thought the, the passage actually that sort of dropped out of the sky on me was, was when Paul says, uh, that in Christ, there's, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is no male or female. Yeah. He actually sets that out separately, said that there is no male or female. Think about that statement. Right. Right. Um, and, and because, because we're actually in Christ. And, and that was where I thought, wow, maybe that means that gender shouldn't matter now
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and there's a bunch of stuff that we've come to realize shouldn't matter now that mattered even in the time of paul like the the former right of one person to actually own another person slavery right 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 the the right of a man to own his wife and to treat her as chattel Right. Uh, in a former age, those things we, we know now, these, these things, well, that's progressive, right? That's a progressive right. revelation. And it comes because, and it came actually theologically, the, the people who fought uh, slavery in, in particularly in Britain, but also in the US, and then later uh, who, who advocated for universal suffrage, a lot of those people were doing so from a theological perspective right. in which they understood that scripture was a living word. And, right. and that we needed to to continue to extrapolate it, to, to understand what it had to say to us. So when we proof text stuff, which is what we do with the five so-called prohibitive passages, you know, those passages that say, quote, very clearly that uh, right. that is not okay to be gay. Um, when we proof text, we're actually, we're, we're not considering the fact that the story's going somewhere. Right. We treat it as if it's a, 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 you know, a text or a code book or a manual or something. And it's not that. It's a story of God's loving relationship with all humanity. And that story is going somewhere. Yes. So so for me to simply say, oh, I, you know, here's this one passage that dropped out of the sky on me. And now I think it's fine. We, we can marry two people of the same gender. I couldn't live with that as somebody who needs theological integrity and consistency in my life. I couldn't live with that. I needed to see whether that fleshed out in the course of the entire story of scripture. Right. Which is why I began to, you know, to, to look at, at, you know, where does the thing end? Um, and, and okay, here's where it ends. If I'm right about the, the my interpretation of this ending, that I, see, I should see clues to that earlier on. So, you referenced um, the, the Roman centurion uh, that's, uh, Cornelius, that Cornelius that Peter goes and preaches to. Yeah. He's one of yeah. two critical people in, the, in those and surprising people in those passages, that, uh, those chapters, who shouldn't have heard the gospel. And the other is the Ethiopian eunuch. This this guy, right. you know, he he's uh, he might actually be a member of one of the lost tribes, but we're not, he's not defined as such. He's defined as Ethiopian. He's in the service of a pagan queen. Um, furthermore, he, he's, uh, he's a eunuch, which as far as the Hebrew people of the time were concerned, was kind of the most repugnant um, sexual identity that you could have. Uh, right, because they were totally against mutilation and, and 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 so on. So um, so he stands for something in all of this. Uh, so so you begin to see, and then you go back and I thought at one point, well, if this is the case, Jesus had to have something to say about it, but I know he said never said anything about queer people. So what right. does he say? Right. And I go back and I begin to look at it, and lo and behold, one of the things he says is, "Is well, you know what? We'll be like the angels when when the great consummation comes." He says other things too, which which I began to realize that that if you if you get to the end of any story, think of it when you watch a movie.
0: Yep.
1: You watch a movie that's a thriller, and uh, and any good thriller has twists and turns in it, and you can't tell what the ending is going to be. You get to the ending, the ending is a surprise, and you think, "Wow, that's amazing." but then you go back through the story, maybe you watch the movie again and you think, oh, now I get what that, yes. why that happened. Now I see where that was leading. Yes. And at the time it looked like it was leading somewhere entirely other, but really it fits perfectly with the ending that we have. So I, I expected that that's what we'd find if we went back in scripture. And I, I think that's what I found and
0: i would say fight club might be a great example of what you just said.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's tons of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Tons of movies where there's a real twist and at the end of you think, "Oh, that's crazy." And then you realize, "No, actually that makes perfect sense." Well, Especially um, if you go back and you watch it again. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh
0: one of the one of the quotes that i loved, i underlined um in sort of bold. <laughs> was and and you've been talking about it really but flesh it out a little bit more a theology, and i quote a theology that doesn't work in the real world in real time is no theology at all yeah those are your words
1: yeah well look we we don't have a coherent theology delivered to us in scripture do we right no yeah the closest thing might be paul's letter to the romans yeah but But even that is pretty scatological. It's not a theological system at all. Right. And and so what we have is something different. We have a narrative theology, theology of story. And, And a story, by definition, has to live in the real world. It involves people. It involves place. It involves time, culture, all of these sorts of things. And if it doesn't work in that scenario, then it doesn't work at all. We have, for hundreds of years now, increasingly developed our theology in the academy, academic situations, yeah. and and our great theological thinkers typically uh, are people who are ensconced in the academy, and and really, for the most part, and I'm speaking, obviously, pretty broadly here, but for the most part are not engaged in day-to-day real life work, especially the kind of work that Jesus himself did right. or that the apostles did. Um, that was what developed the, the stories that have created a the theology that we've come up with. So we've developed theological systems, theological perspectives that, um, that are, I think are increasingly abstract. And and yet, we're trying to describe a God who who John defines as love. God is love. Well, what kind yeah. of a theological statement is that? What do you mean, God is love? Define yeah. that for me. He right. doesn't. Right. He tells tells us how that love acts, but he can't actually define it. So so if we discover now that God acts in some way that is not love, well, what does that mean? Right. right. Well, it means I think that we're not perceiving things properly. Right. Right. It means that our theology is faulty. And, and if I find as somebody who is trying to live out the command of Jesus to love one another, that I'm un- unable to actually functionally love somebody um, because of my theological perspective, then there's something wrong with my theology. It actually doesn't fit with the revealed character of God. Yeah. yeah. A- and, you know, let's face it. You can pick just about any theological issue and you can find uh, people who are for it and people who are against it. So yeah. so we're prone to error. We're, yeah, yeah. we're prone to live in our own bubbles um, and to create tautologies that support uh, our way of thinking. Uh, I think this is the great advantage of trying to live out our theology Uh, to be honest, amongst the kind of people that Jesus lived out his theology with. So people who are poor, excluded, oppressed, sick, oppressed by demons, um, oppressed by religion, oppressed by foreign government, um, all of those sorts of things. When when we come up against those places in that scenario where our our theology founders and mine did, has many, many times through the years, boy, we got to step back and revisit and think, oh, what is God teaching me here? I will go so far as to say that I feel like probably from the time I was maybe 18 years old, at which time I thought I had a very complete theology and, course, and I was competent to, competent to describe it all and actually could. I, I was maybe a bit of a prodigy in that way in my particular environment at the time. Sure, I sure. feel like since that time, my life f- for the ensuing uh, 45 years uh, has been a process of God repeatedly stripping away from me mm-hmm. those things that I have depended on, uh, theologically, emotionally, mm-hmm. in, in a variety of ways. Wow. And, and in its place, uh, I don't find, honestly, a great absence. What I find is that as my dependence on theological concepts or, or constructs, uh, as those things fall, uh, God gets bigger.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well said. I, I sometimes think, you know, give me a theology that is expanding and that leads to expanding thought about self, others, God, the world. And please <laughs> lead me away from theologies that constrict and contract. How could
1: it be otherwise when the God that we we adore is is infinite?
0: One hundred percent. When the universe is expanding, when, and I think you know, it's humbling to. I'm fifty, so a little bit behind you, but not too far. And I would say the same thing. Just a kid. (laughs) That's (laughs) why. That's why I I I didn't put the screen on. You know. Uh, (laughs) No, I. I would agree like it is a humbling but beautiful thing to get to the place where you go well i'm gonna let that one go you know yeah i'm gonna let that certainty go i'm gonna let that and i don't know you know you talked a lot about love um in in your book and and in this conversation when i would ask you well why did you do this right well because I, i i fell in love and may that be our guiding principle for navigating us through these waters in 2021 and beyond i mean it's a really yeah. good and yes it's you know somewhat you know what is love yeah. is it
1: opaque yeah. but yeah well, at the same time, there was it's it was jesus command wasn't it exactly yeah. it's his single command it wasn't be right his no. command was love
0: it was love
1: yeah but right. I, I i do
0: respect your wrestling with theology too though and because I think it's both and, you know, like, let's have a robust theology that leads us to that point where we can say love is love and let it be as strong as love is, you mm-hmm. know, versus a kind of a flimsy, honey syrupy sentimentality, yeah. which is not well, love. I mean, that is not love. Yeah,
1: no, it's not. I mean, if, if you abandon truth, then you're, you're no longer really loving. And if you abandon love for truth, it's no longer true. These things are interdependent right. and, and scripture teaches that it's because they're inherent in the character of God. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think that um, I think we have to keep developing these sorts of things. And, and really, it's it's people who, like me and you, who long for a kind of a theological a theological coherence and a theology mm-hmm. that has integrity with, with the way they were actually able to live our lives day to day. That's That's who I wrote this book for. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's lots of people out there who have simply said, uh, you know, on the one side they've they've said, well, no, I'm never going to really consider the the possibility that queer folk are people too. Um, they're just they're just damned. And mm-hmm. then there's other people who have said, no, you know what? I don't get what the Bible has to say about this. It's not an issue for me. I, I don't really care whether the Bible says so or not. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, treat gay people as if they're the same as me. And and so those those people don't really need this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's it's uh, although I hope the the first group actually might be willing to read it and and consider that there's maybe another story, but it's really for people who are saying, I want to love, but but I feel like I'm constrained, or for queer people who who say. You know, I don't really have a choice about this. I want to be able to live my faith in God with integrity as a person who's who's gay or lesbian or trans or bi or whatever they, however they identify. But I don't know how I can do that. And right. and some of the most heartbreaking experiences that I had were, was years ago talking to to mostly to men who um, who had decided that because they were gay. God could never love them and that they were damned and that there was nothing that they could do mm-hmm. about it. It wasn't that they had abandoned faith. They right. believed it all. Right. But they believed that it wasn't for them because they could not change. Right. And uh, it was heartbreaking to hear those stories and and that's part of what kept me searching for better answers.
0: Well, that's that's what I think you mean and that's what I understand when you say a theology that doesn't work in the real world in real time. Yeah, is no theology at all because we we there just there simply cannot be a reality where someone is rejected by God no matter what. Yeah, on the basis of something that they have no control over. Yeah, and I know people debate that, people debate that, but I there's just no there's no possibility that the God of love. (laughs) Um is like that i know that's a bold statement but no i
1: i couldn't believe that there's anybody who falls through the cracks really right you know and and i mean tell the story in the book of of uh, a person named roxanne who um, began life as a uh, as an intersex child it was doctors basically said make your choice flip a coin this child is right down the middle choose male or female um and the parents Poor things uh, chose, and they chose boy. And uh, and Roxanne went through life, tried to do that, um, and uh, and then decided um, after trying to live life as a as a young gay man that she was actually female, and went and did all of the surgeries and hormone treatment in reverse. And in that some whole so whole process, there somewhere, she contracted AIDS. I don't know yeah. whether whether it was um, bad blood products or. Because it was in that era, um, or or, you know, sexual experiences. But you know, she died alone in the Mm. hospital. As far as Mm. I know, I'm the only person that visited her in the last two weeks of her life. Wow! And and uh, and I I looked at that and I thought she never had a chance from birth. She never had a chance. Yeah. How on earth does God judge this person? Yeah and say that you know she's disqualified because of well, you pick it What what's she disqualified for be. i don't even yeah. know <laughs>
0: right it cannot so, be yeah one of the scriptures i love it's in luke 15 and there's three stories right in a row but of the lost coin and the picture of the woman sweeping and sweeping and sweeping looking for that lost coin that's the picture that i have of god this old woman sweeping who yeah. will not let anyone fall yeah. through the cracks cannot yeah. let anyone fall through the cracks it's just against her character yeah, uh, yeah. To, you know to do so
1: and but, thank you for saying her character i appreciate that yeah,
0: yeah. oh gosh we could have we could have a long conversation just about <laughs> yeah, that's that all journey, but, you know but yeah so, but i'm there you yeah. know where yeah. god is gender full god yeah. is God is genderful and God yeah. is not not gendered. Yeah. God is genderful. So anyway. Well, that's
1: a great expression. And maybe yeah. that's what we're what we're moving to as well. Maybe yeah. genderless or ungendered or non-gendered is is, yeah. is a, the negative term and maybe we should be saying that that uh, it sure looks like uh, the picture yeah. God is drawing of uh, of all humanity is that we become genderful.
0: I, maybe that's where it's all going as yeah. you say. Yeah. I mean, I love that. Yeah. Maybe that's where it is all going.
1: Yeah. And then love is just love is love is love, you know? Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, Greg, last question. This has been so good. Um, But last question, like who are some heroes that have helped you along the way, either in person or authors that you've loved? Who are the people that have sort of helped inspire you to keep living your life?
1: yeah so in this in this particular area i have to say that i have not found much help from most authors until very recently um brian walsh and sylvia Keysmat treated some of of my struggles with romans chapter once one for instance in their book romans disarmed Uh, brian and sylvia are, are good friends also they're toronto people um but uh but the, in, in this particular area, um, the people who taught me, kept me searching, uh, who held me in love through this whole period were very gracious queer people. Yeah, You know, gay, lesbian, bi, trans people who were gracious enough to say, you, you know, we, we know what your convictions are, but we know you're also loving us. And, and so, you know, we won't judge you either. We'll just We'll just love each other and try to find a way to walk. Mm. So um those are, are people I always say that the greatest teachers I've ever had theologically and in terms of real faith are people from the street. Um you know maybe in terms of of Christian writers uh some of the people that I've found tremendously influential certainly would include Henry nowen Yep. Um also a guy who lived near Toronto uh, and so I knew Henry um oh, wow. count, counted as a mentor for a few years um, I think that the work that people like Dallas Willard and some others have done on the teaching of Jesus as teacher, uh, particularly uh, Dallas Willard's work on the Sermon on the Mount um, in Divine Conspiracy, that's been really, really helpful to me as well. Um, Helped me to to live with hope for people whose lives were utterly hopeless and people who never had a chance. Um, I feel like those are the things that God will rectify in a coming day. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I could go on. The list is long, really. But uh, a lot of the people, who really, who have influenced me most are people that nobody else would ever have heard of.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, well, Greg, this has been so good for my soul. Um, I, you just feel like a kindred kindred spirit as I'm hearing you talk. So thank you so much for this conversation, for writing this book, Queer Profits, uh, how can people pick it up? Where can people get it? Uh, easiest
1: way is just through Amazon, much as I hate to increase the obscene sure. wealth of Mr. Bezos. Um, uh, Amazon's the easiest way, but you can also get it directly from the publisher at WIPF and Stock, W-I-P-F, and stock.com. I think it's a little cheaper actually from them, but probably takes longer to get and, and so on.
0: So right, I'll probably. put that on the show notes. I'll put the link to both on the show notes yeah, in case yeah. you do Amazon or WIPF and Stock um
1: Listen, and then, next time you're in toronto mate you gotta give me a shout and we'll uh if COVID allows we'll uh we'll find a nice patio somewhere and sit in the sun and have something cold to drink
0: that would be lovely i would yeah. love that i would love yeah. that and you're not too far away no not too far away um you know someone the the big joke in in minneapolis at some point there was this, uh, trivia question, like, which is the, which is more northerly Toronto or Minneapolis? And yes, of course yes, it's Minneapolis. Minneapolis. <laughs> yes, sir. But, you know, <laughs> people think people think, well, oh, Canada, it's gotta be Toronto, but it's not, it's no. you know, so, Toronto's
1: kind of deep so, South in Canada. It's deep <laughs> south, deep south.
0: Well, thanks Greg. I will, um, I'll put all this stuff on the show notes for how people can follow you and follow your work, including Twitter and your, in your website and and your books and uh, any any last things that i didn't ask you that you hoped i would ask
1: oh no no i think we're all good i really appreciate uh, the invitation and uh, for your enthusiasm about the book and all the great questions
0: well we'll get it out there man we uh I, i really appreciate your work
1: thanks so much take it easy
0: hey friends thanks so much for listening to this good word if you love this podcast there's three ways that you can support my work one is by jumping on patreon patreon.com thisgoodword good word you can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff including free tickets to any live events that i do signed books and other stuff the second way is to share your favorite episodes via twitter and facebook uh email however it is that you share content Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.